0: Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. Today's guest on the show is Julie, the lead singer and bassist in Hawk, who have just released their second album, Leveling, on Vita Records. Let's have a listen to the Smashing Pumpkins, Dolores O'Riordan-esque second track home off the album. Before we get to the interview with Julie, I have to tell you about It Takes a Village, which took place for the third time last weekend at Trebulgan Holiday Village in Cork. And it was amazing, it was the first festival that felt kind of normal, even though it only operated at 60% capacity, which kind of feels like an arbitrary number that gigs are going to have to live with until October 22nd, but the crowd was up for it, delighted be back together with friends watching great acts it was an all-irish lineup so the vibe was very nice for the whole weekend and it fed through to the performers too who were happy to be playing in front of people dancing again from the first act i saw claire sands right through to Gemma dunleavy and royal yellow and i'm sure many more besides they all commented on how it was so nice to see an audience reacting to the music dancing cheering moving all those acts I mentioned put on great shows, as did Dahi and Paul Noonan's new band Houseplants, who have just released their debut album Dry Goods, and finished their set on Saturday night with a cover of LCD Sound Systems' All My Friends, which I heard got quite emotional, which is understandable. I left a little before the end of their set to hear one of the best songs of the last five years, Up to Flats, live for the first time. Gemma Dunleavy's gonna be a star, and that song is an all-timer. I'm going to see her in a couple of weeks in Dublin, so I'm really excited about that. She's got an Irish tour coming up and I'd highly recommend catching Gemma live. So I knew that I had a full Gemma set coming up, so I thought, okay, I'll just watch as much of houseplants as I can and then run over for Up The Flats. And yeah, she finished up with that track, left the stage and the crowd just kept singing it back. It was a moment. And then there was a huge fireworks display that must have gone on for at least five minutes. And even though it was raining, everyone was just outside watching these unbelievable fireworks over the sea just over the hill over the sea taking place tpm hosted a pool party on sunday that included a rendition of fields of Athenry. rye john francis flynn put on a brilliant set mid saturday afternoon and about 10 hours later give or take three or four hours i suppose he played a session with the tpm buys, aka the merry wallopers along with his fellow bandmates, Alton O'Brien, Ian Lynch from Lancome and Fire Draws Near podcast, who is also doing stuff over the weekend, and there were many others besides as well. I called it quits at around 3am, but then apparently Cormac Begley, fresh from a nap, turned up and they continued playing until 6 by all accounts. It was that kind of weekend, it was just special. Hopefully It Takes a Village it returns for fourth instalment in 2022, If you've never been, you should definitely put it top of your festival list for next year. I recorded a couple of interviews over the weekend down by the beach overlooking the Gouge's Sea. So they'll be coming out at some point over the coming weeks. So you can look out for them. But anyway, back to Hawk, who make rock music. Does that work? Am I allowed to say that? Completed by Matt Harris on guitar and Sam Campbell on drums, they started writing Leveling, which is the follow-up to their 2019 debut album Cause and Effect, during the last few months of living in Berlin, before they moved back to Dublin. Months before, you know, the big P word hit. The big C word. Oh well. Leveling is great. A more confident record that sounds at times familiar but always exciting. They launched the album at the Workman's Club on Wednesday, September 29th. That gig had sold out initially. Then the capacities all increased. So there should be some tickets floating around still for that. Stick around to the end of the chat to hear halfway out. But here's Julie on the Point of Everything podcast. We had a really great chat, so I think you'll enjoy this one. I saw that you were listening to System of a Down. Toxicity is 20 years old. Metallica is 30 years old, the Black Album. I'm guessing that they're two big influences on on you personally and on the band?
1: Well, yes. And also Spice Girls' stop right now, I think has just turned 25, if I'm not wrong. Oh, wow. So, I, yeah, we're all getting very old this summer. I think it's, there's been some pretty big anniversaries. Toxicity, I'd say... Like I had a lot of friends growing up who listened to Metallica and I would kind of be sitting around listening. It was a very much like the lads I hung out with knew a lot about Metallica and they often would have like the Metallica documentary playing in the background when we were all hanging around. But personally, System of a Down were like, that was like a game changing album for me, Toxicity. And it holds up, yeah. I spotted uh, on Twitter someone, someone said, this album is turning twenty twenty 20 years, this- like this week and I was uh yeah just walking around Dublin and I immediately felt like I was 15 again as soon as I put it on 15 and unstoppable
0: isn't it weird listening to an album that I'm guessing you haven't listened to in a while and like all of the words come back to you I was listening to it yesterday and it was just like how do I know all these words how often did I listen to this album when I was 15
1: we just got a vinyl player because we we moved around a lot over the last few years so vinyl was something that I was like okay when I kind of settle back into Ireland I'll start to invest in this expensive breakable hobby because it didn't feel like a good idea at the time but yeah I, we just got a vinyl player and I have my first record and it's Dookie by Green Day That one record all the other records we have are ours <laughs> we have like a hundred of our records and then one Dookie Dookie vinyl and that like that was the first kind of album that I like stole from my brother and burnt onto tape and then snuck back into his room where it kind of just changed my whole outlook on what secondary school was gonna be. was Like, I'm gonna, this is what I'm gonna stand for now. Like, I'm not gonna fit in with <laughs> the norms or whatever. Um, but that album, like, I know it's back to front. And even before. like, I remember at some point when I was in secondary school, before I'd hit play, I could already sing the first line in the right key. And I was really, really proud of that because I was also a music nerd.
0: And and so Metallica, not so much.
1: I was on the, like, the peripheries of Metallica. I did go see them with Tenacious D in Marley Park, I think, when I was about 16. Uh, that was a really good time. Like, I'm really glad I saw them live because it was a brilliant concert. And I haven't seen System of Down. And I know that they are, they're like still on the road. So I've promised myself that next time they come around to Dublin or wherever it is that I'm close to, I will catch them. You have a few bands now because I think over the last few years, a lot of big heroes for a lot of people in music have like sadly passed away. And I'm, I'm, you know, hopefully all my favorite bands won't start start biting the dust like that. But it makes you think like, okay, I've been really assuming that like I'll catch them next time. I'll catch them next time. But I I don't want to think like that anymore. Like next time. Skunk and Nancy are on tour, and definitely want to go see them. And next time, yeah, system of a down for sure.
0: Skunk and Nancy, is it?
1: Yeah, Skunk and Nancy.
0: I don't think I know them at all. Tell me more.
1: Uh so they're from oh God, they're from like Bristol. They're they were part of like the Brit rock scene, and they're fronted by this incredible vocalist Skin. And that was another real like oh, eye opener moment in terms of early music discoveries for me. I was about 12, maybe, and my brother got a Kerrang! CD. No, he got a Kerrang! um, magazine and it came with a CD, like a free CD. And there was one Skunk and Nancy song on it called "King Psychotic Size. And it doesn't exist anywhere on like Spotify or any streaming services, but it was just, it's just a stunning rock song. And I can't believe it never actually made it onto any of their albums. But I was lying in bed in London about seven years ago and I woke up from a dream and this song had come back into my head, just like a couple of lines of it and a few lyrics. And I I was like, okay, I have to, what is this song? Like I know, I know this is a real memory. I didn't just write this in my dream or I'm a genius. Uh, and yeah, I found it. It exists on like one YouTube video where someone has clearly like grabbed it from somewhere and put like a, a screenshot with with the song but like I lo- they have some really really great hits from the 90s around that Brit rock scene and they're still like they're still touring and she's especially Skin was a massive influence on me later on when I started really taking vocals seriously because she's uh, she's quite a belter and such a forceful like powerful front person and also so different from what I would have been listening to i think when i really got into like rock music indie music when i was um like a teenager i think nearly everyone that i was listening to was like a, we're all male bands uh whereas skin from skunk and is just like the antithesis of the kind of white like male lineups that you'd usually see she's like the six foot something black bald queer woman and her vocals are just like my god if you haven't go for it
0: <laughs> well i haven't so it's great to great to get a good recommendation like that straight off the bat uh so thanks for that i'll um i must check them out and so also you mentioned spice girls did you get to tick spice girls off your list no, a couple of years ago no when they i haven't pro-car? and i
1: really regret it and now I'm. i'm hoping they'll do another tour at some point because it's you know it's important <laughs> important part of our heritage <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was n- I was never really that big into Spice Girls, but I suppose
1: There's still time. Skunk and Nancy, Spice Girls, put it on your list this week.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that that's all I'm gonna be listening to now for the rest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> um so like talking about all these bands and thinking about your own kind of music, like you're kind of called grunge, grunge pop. Um, do you kind of take that seriously or do you think labels are kind of superfluous in twenty twenty one that like you're listening to like whatever music you want to to do and it just so happens that at the moment you're making grunge pop or are you just kind of like no we are we are this kind of band
1: i think for a long time like well first of all we were definitely one of those classic can't describe ourselves in under 16 words kind of bands because we have so many tastes between uh, all of us, and yeah, and I think one of the words that was always, or one of the descriptions that was always in like our press releases was like kind of flip flopping from really high octane to almost shoegaze, and we've always had it like that's always been part of what we try to create in terms of the records, and also like the live, the live shows as well. Like we really want to do something that's immersive where people will feel really swept up and you know high energy and then we'll bring them right back down with us again and a lot of album tracks at the moment like we we kind of design it so that it takes you up and down in these kind of peaks and troughs but like I'd be really leaning towards the more punk side of uh, the kind and you can hear it I guess in in some of the tracks that we've produced whereas Matt would be very influenced by like my bloody valentine and lots of more kind of shoegazy influences and I think when you put them together like we just couldn't decide whether to do one or the other so we've uh, we've ended up in this weird flip floppy zone which is it's really fun for us it keeps us on our toes and uh that's the last thing we want to do is make something that we're getting bored of uh but I do think it's it's like it's not the easiest thing to then kind of package up because I think some people like one side of what we do, and some people might like the other, and it's really on us then to make that make sense in terms of the two sides of the coin speaking to each other.
0: Mm. You mentioned earlier um, taking vocals seriously. Tell tell me more about that. When when did that happen? That you were like want, wanted to get serious with it.
2: It
1: literally happened, I guess. Twenty twelve, twenty thirteen. I had been in projects before, kind of in Galway, doing like backing vocals and stuff. And I never really, I think, I think when you're an Irish singer, there's a challenge there in terms of what to sound like, which I know sounds like there's a lot of kind of artifice and thought put into it. But it is, it's true when a lot of the things you're listening to are either British or American and you're singing and and you know you learn by mimicking you learn by singing songs in your bedroom and kind of singing along with pop or rock or r&b or whatever it is and i think when it came to actually finally writing something original and and when i was originally writing it was more folk stuff like i kind of i came into writing music through like open mic nights and stuff so i really started listening to a bit like when I first heard Skin I was listening to vocalists who were doing really surprising unusual things with their voices like Karen Tucker from uh Slater Kinney or even Joanna Newsom tune yards but like just women who were really um almost using their voices to not just sing but like to like really punctuate and almost speak at times and and uh yeah, it just really inspired me to start messing around and kind of find something, find something signature of my own. Before that, I'd been kind of always trying to thinking of vocals in terms of being a backing singer where you really want to just lean into what the lead singer is doing and, and you know, empower them and lift what they're doing. And that's, you know, that's a de- very different technique. It's a lot of listening there. I also did a lot of like choral music growing up and especially in college so that is all about like blending and creating one voice. So when I actually sat down and like decided to write a song and I was kind of met with this a uh, this question of like what does your voice actually sound like? And it was bizarre because I didn't know. Like I I didn't know what Julie's voice sounds like cuz I realized I'd just been like mimicking other voices like you know for decades of my life that I've been singing cuz I've been singing since I was tiny. Um so that that was really interesting and I think I'm still I think I'm still evolving that, like taking it, especially from that acoustic scenario uh, where it was just me accompanying myself uh, to then like building up the project around like multiple musicians. And then I was deciding actually, let's start a really fucking loud rock band uh, which was an epiphany all on its own and it was brilliant. But that was, I'd been doing all this falsetto stuff up till then I really liked to sing up in those high ranges and like just to do these kind of soaring kind of folk vocals. Whereas once you add a drum kit behind there and you've got the cymbals to like compete with and we had t- real issues like when we when we started the band of even getting my vocal to cut through on a mic without the mic picking up the cymbals behind me. And it was just, it was brilliant to like learn mic technique and find the, the right mic that would work for my voice but also realize you're not in a, well, I was going to say cathedral, I don't think anyone has ever invited me to sing in a cathedral before. You're not in like a, a church singing anymore. You're, you've got this mic in front of you and that you have to respect it. And, and it's an opportunity to do like even more interesting things. And I think just even coming back to the fact that our music flip-flops from shoegaze to, to really kind of high octane punk, that's what starting to take vocals seriously and understand like what can the mic what opportunity can a microphone give you that's actually allowed me to integrate a lot of the choral stuff that I grew up doing with like the punk stuff that I would listen to and think oh god she could never do that and now I, I love I love belting and I love like shouting and I'm almost embracing this kind of spoken word thing on some of our newer stuff which I never thought I'd do so and and that as well like speaking on tracks in an Irish accent was so empowering. It was just, it was very nice to hear my voice back in an Irish accent, especially when so much of what we consume is this kind of neutralized American-esque vocal. And just like, I'm hearing a lot of bands do that right now. Like say Sprints or Pretty Happy uh, Girl Band, uh, where you can just, you know, you can hear these bands are from Dublin and Cork and, and it's brilliant.
0: Yeah, a, a, a lot to unpack in that question. That was um or in that answer. That was uh that was great. Um, I don't want to ask you like a a general like women in music uh <laughs> kind of question, but talking about like all all of those acts that you mentioned, like is is it always the the women that you're kind of gravitating towards? Like you were saying earlier that like it was all the lads talking about Metallica, like that kind of doesn't do that much for you. Are you always kind of looking for the that kind of female influence and, and searching out that. And it, and it, it was kind of, it was tougher to find that, I suppose, you know, even like a decade ago.
1: Yeah. Like I don't necessarily feel outside of that conversation anymore, but it was really, really important for me when, you know, when you leave school or something and you do have that opportunity to kind of redefine yourself over and over again, it was really really important for me and still is to keep seeing women and listening to women do things that i had previously felt like were you know what the cool lads talked about and so i do think it's really important like i'm equally influenced by by um male musicians like i i will i listen to both and i'll take i'll be jealous of both and i'll be inspired by both like all the feelings kind of are there but I think it's so important to not not necessarily like immediately spot another woman in music and feel like in competition with them which I think would probably have been something that I felt in my like early 20s I would have been like okay well they're (laughs) they're doing guitar solo. I'm gonna need to learn how to do a guitar solo. (laughs) like I don't feel like that anymore but it was really important for me to be exposed to enough of it to the point where I didn't feel like it was just uh an exception or just a novelty like it's it's really really important like especially when we look at like lineups and festivals that we now start seeing that as the norm and and I think we are in Ireland doing a pretty good job in the last couple of years of like putting especially in live I think of like putting our money where our mouths are pushing that visibility for not just women but more people of color, more queer people, just representation across the board, because I, as much as uh, I have like rose tinted memories of, you know, listening to the lads talk about Metallica and being like, oh, that's so cool. But like, I, it's kind of gross as well. Like it makes me feel a little bit gross where, because I feel like I, I felt like such a, a side character in that scene whereas now I feel like I can have that conversation. I don't know anything about Metallica though, so don't ask me, <laughs> um, but it's so important. And I, um, I had a really interesting experience when we were living in Berlin. I started playing bass with another band called Party Fears. Uh, they're very good friends of mine. Uh, it's a project run by Maggie Devlin and uh, the drummer at the time, Ailish Frawley. And it was my first time being in a practice room or going on tour with, just women and it was actually such an freeing experience to kind of realize that I didn't um, I didn't have to worry about looking like I knew something that I didn't know and I didn't actually know that that was something I was consciously doing but I was actually very self-conscious in the studio or in the practice room um, about things that I maybe didn't know about music and when it's gendered it all of a sudden becomes very loaded like I didn't not know those things because of my gender I just didn't know them but when you're the only woman in the room it suddenly feels like oh also there's the pressure <laughs> of like being representing all women in this situation and that that was amazing and I remember um, like it, it made me really loosen up and want to practice base more and want to learn about the equipment in the room more and I didn't feel as out of the loop or out of the conversation. And I think that's, you know, I, I'm not trying to make any kind of statement in terms of how it is for all women, but I think it was a very internalized uh, experience for myself that was great to unpack and great to kind of then bring that back to Hawk and feel so much more confident. I remember them, I remember Matt saying like, you seem to be enjoying bass so much more because that was um, something I only picked up over the last few years. and I remember chatting to Maggie and she said, like, when you grow up kind of in secondary school and you know, you pick your instrument, I think for a lot of people, especially in our generation, a lot of girls would have played the piano or they would have played the flute or they would have played the fiddle or something that you learn kind of by yourself, not necessarily something that you play with other people that you have to kind of jam with other people In order to perfect whereas a lot of guys especially in 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 my experience they would have been encouraged like pick up guitar take up drums and in that experience you also kind of fall into a you fall into a position where you can easily kind of jam with other people or maybe even like put a demo down and you have that experience to like make mistakes young you get to learn the language of you know what an amp is, what pedals do. You get to learn those things young, and you get to sound really stupid early on. Whereas for a lot of women, I feel that I think it's changing massively, and I'm definitely talking about my own experience here, and you know of about the people who I've spoken to about it. But like um, when you pick up an instrument when you're kind of 22, 23, it's very easy to feel like you're already miles behind. And so it was great to kind of be in a space with just women where I didn't feel like I had to unpack all of that Uh, I didn't feel self-conscious about kind of not knowing what plugged into what and yeah and I hope that is like my big big hope right now for all of the good changes we're seeing happening around conversations around gender I would really really like to see more like young girls uh, non-binary people queer people being encouraged to like pick up rock instruments pick up electronic instruments the kind of things that maybe we wouldn't have been encouraged to do before
0: yeah like just talking from my own male perspective like i'm just so much more aware of when you see a festival lineup and you're like wait where are the women like reading and leeds (laughs) but reading and leeds is very bad for that I i think a lot more festivals and gigs are becoming a lot more aware of that as well and hopefully that whole thing with women um female acts being played on the radio as well hopefully that is changing two and also just in terms of younger women and non binary people picking up instruments. Like I was talking to uh Sarah from Pillow Queens a couple of years ago and she was talking about like you know she wants to be an influence on these people and i think that just that visibility thing is just so important like younger people seeing the likes of pillow queens absolutely killing it on guitar the likes of uh alva reddy shredding uh killer solo or riff or something like that i just think like sarah in particular was talking about how exciting the next scene up the next kind of generation is going to be in dublin is that is that something that you're kind of looking towards too
1: yeah, like I, I am so excited. A little part of me wants to be 15 years younger again for what is kind of happening now. But like, I think it's also, you can it, it, you can be very quick to kind of um, think that you can't be a part of it and be like, oh, they'll, those are, you know, teenagers these days. But like, I, I think Sarah has it spot on there. Like there's so much we can still do. And I think with things like um, Girls Rock Dublin, um and all the girls rock initiatives like there are things that we can do and if we keep if we keep lobbying and pushing and calling festivals out like it can feel it can especially when you're like doing it from your phone right this kind of this kind of casual activism in terms of calling out festival lineups and stuff it it's uh tiring and it can feel like maybe it won't make a difference but I feel like if enough of us are doing it and enough of us are having conversations, not just with fellow women about this, but having it out in these like more public spaces where, you know, we all kind of have to be accountable. If enough of us do that, like it, it has to make such a difference. And yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, it's really exciting time to be like coming up in music right now.
0: Okay, we, we haven't talked about Hawk enough, I don't think, uh, so far. So we better um, move on to uh, all things Hawk. The new album, Leveling, is out in a couple of weeks as we're talking, maybe closer as people are listening to this episode of the podcast. Tell me about the start of Hawk. When, when did you guys start? Did you begin in Berlin? I know that you were living there for a while.
1: We actually met in London. Um, so we formed... In and around that time when I was starting to write, I had my acoustic guitar and I looked for open mic nights, like I looked on Facebook for open mic nights in London that were happening and I went to this one up at the Hideaway, which is a great pub in Archway and Matt, who's our guitarist, uh, was helping out at the desk that day. So he was like behind the desk and mixing, just like doing like simple mixes for mostly singer songwriters and some really dodgy comedians but I didn't realize that I'd fallen into this kind of um, this beautiful oddball friend group that came to this open mic every week so it was a Sunday night and it turns out these there were about kind of 10 or 12 of them that used to go to three different open mics in London um, they did this little circuit on Monday Tuesday, mo- sorry Sunday Monday and Tuesday night by Wednesday you were absolute an absolute mess sometimes you wouldn't make the tuesday night one um but it was a lot of fun and basically yeah i fell into this kind of circle of um mostly singer songwriters but there were some some artists there who were kind of pushing more electronic things and some artists there was a, an incredible beatboxer called dana mckeown who's like one of the world beatboxing champions so it was quite a mix of people and matt and i got to know each other um through the open mics and he was um kind of building his production capabilities at the time. So he would often like start working with some of the singer-songwriters that came through. We started working together, but immediately it turned into kind of a, like, or not immediately, it, it was based around more folk solo stuff for the first year, I'd say. And at some point we had this existential <laughs> breakdown and we were like, we just want to be in a band. And that's, uh, that's how we went from Julie Hawk to Hawk the band. Um, that's a really abbreviated version of that but we had uh along the lines we'd met Chris who was our, our former bassist and uh Sam Sam was the last person we, we met him I think like he he wasn't like a mate of ours uh already I think we met him like through having put the word out that we were looking for drummers and when we met him he looked like Sam looks about 12 anyway but I think he we were like oh god what who is this guy when he rocked up. He, he was so much younger than the rest of us, but he's an, he's an epic drummer and he drove. So <laughs> that's a, that's always a plus. No, um, so he's actually still in London as well. Um, he's kind of gone full circle. Uh, so we're kind of divided at the moment. Uh, Sam is living over in London and it, myself and Matt are here in Dublin. And it was a much easier thing to kind of hop back and forth in practice and gig when, gig when we needed to, like before COVID obviously. So it'll happen again, just being patient with it because right now travel is a bit, yeah, it's a nightmare. But so we uh, formed in London. We also, a couple of years into that, we formed the label Vita Records in and around, it was mostly around like the, the various projects that Matt was producing to kind of put a bit of a collective and a bit of a stamp around what we were doing and yeah so since kind of 2016 2017 we've been both like managing our own project managing Hawk and you know getting ourselves out there but also running the label as well which has been yeah just such a saving grace especially over the last couple of years to have like a group of people that we could help on a zoom with um, you know coordinate because there's so many plates to spin when you're releasing music and even trying to figure out like how do you put music out there so a big reason why we formed the label was to kind of we had learned so much off of our own backs and we wanted to pass that on and now we're very much like a knowledge sharing collective as well as you know doing the boring admin we're really there for each other.
0: I think that's a good way to describe maybe Vita Records. Like I was thinking that there's no one um definable sound there either. Like between you guys, Maria Kelly, Sive, and all of the other acts on on the label, I don't think that there's one kind of obvious sound, which I think is good.
1: Yeah, I think the the thing that probably ties it all together is we we want to work with, and and we just we've always ended up um, meeting. And really connecting with artists who are, even if they're in a genre that's completely different from our own, that they're they're trying to do something that stands out from that. There's always something alternative going on there, and in in a lot of cases as well, there's there's maybe an activism or a message behind it that's really important as well. So, for instance, like Maria, she writes so candidly about mental health, and in in a way that's not not the kind of Copied and pasted stuff that I think we are seeing a lot. More. I mean, okay, it's not all copied and pasted, but it is something that's very shareable these days. Whereas Maria has been talking really upfront about mental health for like basically since we met her, she's been writing these vulnerable songs about how it's so important to talk about these things, and thankfully, so many more people are catching on to that right now. But uh, we've when we met Maria, and she was only like eighteen or nineteen when we met her. There was immediately something there of like this is really special, but it's also like it's really important. And so everything that we do in Vita is also about kind of being really respectful of what story the artist wants to tell. And so that's that's how Vita formed, kind of alongside parallel to what we were doing. And then in twenty eighteen we moved to Berlin. Twenty seven. Tell me more By tell me more
0: about Berlin. Did you did you all go over we did
1: yeah all four of us at the time we moved to berlin it was i think we were really like quite uh burnt out in london that scene is um it's full of opportunities but it's also just full of competition and we weren't really um yeah we weren't really feeling like in as in love with the place as we were when we had started off and I think as well, living and working in London, having a day job in London, it's it's tough. Like living there full stop, it's full stop is tough. So for a lot of different reasons, we just all happened to be like up for getting out of there, and we've been hearing really really good things about Berlin. He- heard of other bands who had kind of like uh, relocated, whether it was just for a spell or like for the rest of their their lives. Like especially artists like Wallace Bird or All the Luck in the World, who were actually really basing themselves out of there and managing to get great work done and you know the work-life balance there is so much healthier for artists when I moved to Berlin I didn't have to work full-time anymore that was such a like that was that was so different from my experience in London and also um, I think the respect for time off in in like Berlin culture I don't know much about the, the wider culture of Germany but certainly in Berlin like You don't necessarily take your work home with you, and that was such a, like that was such a different culture to what I was used to. So I think it was the space we all needed for different reasons to kind of actually, um, be able to work on music and just practice more often without feeling like we were squeezing it into our lives. Because it it really felt like, it was so much work to squeeze music in on top of um, trying to get by in London, and Berlin gave us the space to do that. And it's you know it's just a gorgeous city.
0: So So was that the plan to kind of almost double down on what you were doing um with the band in Berlin?
1: Yeah, I think we were really for various reasons we were all like let's leave a lot of this baggage that we have in London a uh, bit of a fresh start and a bit of a new lease of life and we were you know we had our first album kind of ready-ish to go as well but I don't think any of us were feeling in a great place to kind of just go ahead and release it like we were working on those album tracks and we felt like we were doing something really great sonically but i think you have to be like healthy and happy and able to gig and you know able to like be part of a scene to really enjoy putting music out there i think it's, it's a really difficult thing when you feel like you're just squeezing it in so yeah the idea was maybe not even to double down but just have the headspace to, to do it and enjoy it and meet other musicians and not feel like we were in this quite competitive scene which is what London can feel like quite a lot of the time and we definitely got that you know the the energy and appreciation from like people who even go to gigs to listen to music in Berlin was it was so different from the first day that we we did a show there um, and yeah there's just a lovely a lovely community out there so we were there for for three years we wrote our first album and quite quite a bit of this new one as well we wrote over there. But at some point we got a like, especially myself, so many of the beta artists are Irish and we were traveling back to Ireland a lot and every time we came here it felt like something was happening in the Irish scene that we hadn't really seen maybe five years back when we'd started. At the time we'd come over and AIM Ireland which is the association of independent music was starting up and as people who were running a label especially a smaller label we thought it was a really good time to come and kind of be part of whatever is happening next we also were just starting to see so much more bands we related to um we were seeing you know we've known Bitch Falcon and and Altered Hours and stuff for years and have always been big fans but the amount of new artists that really felt like were part of a scene that we would love to be in um and we just made so many lovely friends from having like hopped over to play gigs or play Ireland Music Week over the years that it felt like a good time to come back and for me personally it was also it was really nice to feel that way again because when I left it was like I was part of that generation of like people who graduated just after the Celtic Tiger, where it was like, let's get out of here. There's nothing here for us. So to come back and actually feel good about living here again for all its problems, uh, it felt like a really good time to do it. It wasn't because COVID then happened, but we didn't know that at the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you miss Berlin and that kind of space that it allowed you to have artistically?
1: Um it's hard to it's honestly hard to know because I, I find it really difficult to judge what my life here has been like for the last year and a half because it's been this strange lockdown existence so I do I I miss some things about it like I I miss the accessibility of like if you ever there's always something you can go and see there's always a uh, like a live performance there's always like a like a a strange club night like whatever you want you'll find it there and when you live in the city, you can be you can be 10 minutes away from it um, any kind of time of day as well. Uh, so I do kind of miss that attitude towards like the, the different boundaries that they they have over there in terms of how you should be how you should be expressing yourself or how you should be having a good night. I I think that's that's something we can all learn from. And I think it would be great to see, for instance, even later later pub and club hours happening in Ireland but I think you know we're probably a while away from that like I I miss that um, but I don't miss I, I felt quite disconnected from Berlin itself in terms of like I wasn't a Berliner I wasn't a German person and that can feel that can kind of catch up on you sometimes I think as an expat over there and I was realizing that there's like a lot of transients in terms of expats coming and going. There's a lot of people going there to kind of live their best life for a year. And we definitely did. But I wanted to leave while I still was like in love with the place. I didn't want to get. Um, yeah, I didn't want to get to a point where I was sick of it. It's, it's very sacred in my mind now. And I love the idea of going back to visit. But I, it was definitely the right time to go
0: you mentioned that you released your first album cause and effect in 2019 while you were living in Berlin listening to the new album leveling it, it sounds more confident I think I don't know is that something that comes across to you guys listening back but it sounds like you know you kind of put in the work on the first album and you kind of almost get that out of the way yeah. and now you're just it's kind of like a weight off your shoulder I don't, I don't know is that something that you you think is there on the new album
1: yeah like I I think there's so much um, pressure put on to releasing an, a, a first album, a debut album. I was even, I remember listening to um, Lizzie from Bitch Falcon talking to yourself about how long it took them to, to do a debut album. And I, I remember thinking myself, like, you already have all of these incredible songs. But the, they obviously took a really long time to get to a point where they were really happy with what was on there. And I'm very glad they did because it's an absolute tune of a record. but she was talking about like the pressure that that goes on your first album and it happened to be like um you know live up to your live performance or or whatever live up to the hype and I think we had so we had so many songs that I, I um I think that first album is it's really evident that we're like like learning about ourselves and learning what works and learning what we love and i i love that record i like i'm so proud of what's on there but i think you might be right in terms of like how we're now applying that to to the newer stuff that we're making like we've we were experimenting a lot to kind of find our sound whereas i think we knew what we were we knew what we were going for this time around but um it's great to hear that it's great to hear that we're (laughs) sounding confident (laughs)
0: Uh it, it sounds like you've also got um kind of big ideas behind the album as well. It's maybe conceptual rather than a concept album, but you've also got uh psychological things and nihilism and Kierkegaard dimensions. <laughs> so in that the came reasons. after,
1: I want to clarify. <laughs> we um so the album itself, it, it is like quite philosophical. And I think it's it's funny because like we did all this stuff like like relocating countries together we saw each other go through a lot of big life things um you know quitting jobs and relationships changing and you know Chris who was our former bassist he left the band and when I think you've been in a project for this long together at some point you see your priorities change but you're still in this band and (laughs) and the kind of you've got to find a way to to make that work around what's happening in your life and I think that's a a really interesting thing to go through together like as friends and just over the years i think we we had these like really deep conversations about kind of you know where we wanted to be in life like just talking about how much we changed since our early 20s and i think soda blonde's recent album is is a lot about kind of shedding a lot of things that you kind of like baggage you might have had in your early 20s and I love that there are records right now being made about the kind of experience of that transition from 20s into 30s. And when I read that about their album, I was like, oh God, it speaks to me. Um, And so levelling is, it's really about looking back and kind of shedding, uh, well, like appreciating your circumstances when you were, say, a kid or when you were you know leaving home for the first time and it's all about um how our ideas of what you know the importance of certain life moments kind of change over time so like the early tracks on the record are about friendships and like really formative early year friendships or about kind of putting yourself out there for the first time leaving home for the first time and realizing that you can kind of redesign your identity that's a big a big thing that I felt like having both grown up in Galway and then gone to college in Galway I feel like there was a, a kind of chapter that would have alternatively been spent kind of really rediscovering myself and as soon as I finished college I I kind of did that I left I went to Canada for a bit and I left and t- I went to London I remember being really conscious of the fact that like I'm meeting this person for the first time they don't know anything about me in primary school and being really conscious of that and it's so freeing when you realize that like you're it's all up to you right uh and so that there's a philosophy there just in terms of like the your decisions in life are kind of what you make what you make of them but also so there's this kind of shape to the album where at the beginning of your life you have all of these choices ahead of you and you have all of these years ahead of you all these people that you're probably going to meet and then as you get older you tend to kind of probably make decisions that will like ground you or define you and don't get me wrong like we don't believe that like you should you know meet your meet your dream partner and settle down and then have kids but it can the pressure to feel like you have to do that uh, exists like it's all around us and so it's the later part of the album is about kind of questioning that and being happy with the decisions you've made even if you've gone completely against the grain
0: so, so you didn't have this idea at the outset of making album number two. It was something that just kind of came along kind of midway through sort of thing. You realized yes. what you were writing about.
1: We wanted to make something that did follow this kind of life story arc that started with childhood and then came where you came to a crossroads. And then the later tracks would would explore kind of memories and closure and maybe even regret and things like that. So it does follow like the timeline of a life. And actually, one of the things that really <laughs> nailed that idea down for us, there's an episode of Rick and Morty where uh, they play. They're on they're on this like planet. There's like in this arcade, and they're playing the game Roy. And in that game, you can, you basically live out Roy's life, and it's the idea that like you can make one tiny decision and it will influence the path of that game and you'll live his entire life in like 60 seconds or something like that. And that it really got us thinking about like, what if we could make something that question, that went back and kind of questioned, like how were you feeling at this time? How are you feeling at that point? How do you feel about your life now <laughs> looking back? And, and really had this kind of element of time to it. Um, the nihilism, Kierkegaard thing, <laughs> we decided on the album name, Leveling, Um, but we also just Googled to like make sure there wasn't already an album called that or that it didn't mean something horrendous (laughs) that we didn't know about Um, and yeah we found out that there's um, that there is this philosophy this this nihilism philosophy tied into uh, a concept called leveling which is uh, I'm gonna definitely misquote this but it's it's loosely tied with the idea of like shedding all of the responsibilities that, like society, thinks that you should that you should be following, uh, which, which speaks to us. I don't think we'd call ourselves nihilists, but it, it kind of fit in nicely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe on album number three you'll go full nihilism yeah i guess we'll wait and see um no congratulations on the album it's uh it's really really uh great really enjoying listening to the past couple of weeks you're launching it with a sold out show at uh, the workman's club at the end of september how excited are you to finally get back on stage so
1: excited first of all it is actually so strange to speak to someone who has listened to the album and just just really dawned on me like you've heard it that's that's wonderful I, know, I, knew, weekend, I knew you'd yeah. heard it but it just kind of like i really just took that in there i feel it feels really good um uh so it felt great there to say that we'd sold out a show but then they have opened up the restrictions so now we've no longer sold out our show at the work <laughs> events no but we're,
0: so tickets are available yeah i know, to...
1: the one time that, but um yeah, no, we're we're we were delighted to have sold it out and we're we're also delighted that we can now sell more tickets. So yeah, just super, super happy. Like we 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 played last week our first show back in the Grand Social and it's just it, it's so important, just like having that live connection, um getting to express yourself like live on stage, having that connection with people who are watching you and listening to you. like I it's been challenging releasing singles and putting an album out there this year i really like some of some of the work that i've seen come out of ireland this year like fears and for those i love like i i feel such a huge respect for anyone who's pursued that this year and and because it's been without having that live it's hard work anyway like it's a lot of work but i think without having that live side of things to kind of offset the you know there's there's a lot of admin there and there's a lot of promotion and the schedules to stick to there's just a huge amount of work that I think live music can really help you to to balance out because it kind of reminds you why why you're doing it and so yeah to get that back even yeah our grand social show was in front of a six-person crew so it wasn't the exact same but it was still nice to have that back we're very uh like we're very out of practice as well because these uh tracks usually would have come together in the rehearsal space whereas these these album tracks like came together you know in the studio but we didn't jam them out as much so it's exciting it's nerve-wracking but it's really exciting to finally play them
0: yeah well uh again congratulations on it and get used to more people saying that they love the album and uh and everything because (laughs) you're gonna have a lot of it now over the next few weeks you're
1: the only one (laughs) Yeah, I I can't wait for it to just exist in the world. That's how it should. That's how it should exist. It shouldn't just be a a Dropbox file on our computers. Uh,
0: Listen, thanks a million for taking the time this morning and chatting. And best luck with everything. And enjoy the next uh, next couple of days and weeks and months.
1: Thank you. You too. Uh, Enjoy gigs when you get back to them as well.